0: Hello and welcome to the Arista Wealth Podcast, where we focus on your finances, wellness and lifestyle so you can focus on living your dreams. We'll help you navigate through important topics so that you can elevate your life and financial health. Let's get started with your host, Paul Moffat.
1: Hello, welcome to Arista Wealth Podcast. We're excited to have you join us today on our episode. We hope that all is well and everyone's healthy and strong and enjoying this spring weather. It's great to be outside whatever part of the world you are in. We're excited to have just a phenomenal guest with us today. This is a high-performing individual. He has accomplished much. He's been through much. He's just got a long resume of things. And so we'd like to welcome to our podcast, Ryan Linder. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Paul. So excited to chat with you. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. And Ryan today comes to us from Virginia Beach, Virginia. He's over on the east side of this great country. And we're grateful to have you, Ryan. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Ryan.
0: Sure. I've been a coach for almost 20 years, and I specialize in transitions. So really, I've done thousands and thousands of sessions for all types of people, all over the world. I even worked for a military contract, did about 6,000 sessions for the military. And really helping people with anything regarding change. So for example, if a soldier is getting ready to retire, they've been a soldier for 30 years, they want to say, start a business. It's sometimes, hey, I've been this person for so long. Who am I now? And a lot of people go through that sort of existential crisis of who are they, a lot of fear associated with change. I work a lot with busyness. So people that are really feel kind of stuck in this crazy busy life. And I help them explore that move beyond it. Since working with individuals, I've moved on to work more with organizations. So I've been a part of several studies. I track patterns in individuals and basically out of thousands and thousands of sessions. And, you know, I've had psychologists as clients, military generals, CEOs. And when I had my first psychologist, I was a little bit surprised because it was my first thought was, aren't they supposed to have it all figured out? And what I realized is that we're all just people. We're all just people and we can't see ourselves. So it has nothing to do with how smart you are your intelligence, or we often cannot see ourselves. So, that's where I come in. I help people sort of explore and move beyond that. Well, that's great. Well, Ryan, thanks for that. And also, just
1: for our listeners, he has a book called Half Known Life. And what's also unique about Ryan, and I don't want to get into it too quickly, but he has had two near-death experiences. And he'll talk about that as we talk further. But as he just said, he's he's done many many hundreds and thousands hours of counseling and coaching. Just some of some wonderful people in this great country. So, Ryan, let, let's get started. I got a question for you. Help us understand the science of first impressions.
0: Yeah. So uh, when I work with people, and, and a lot of times, most people I work with are so busy, and given that they can't see themselves, it takes real awareness to. Interact with someone in a way that's meaningful and present. And when we're busy, when we're reactive, we can't do that. And this is one of the really interesting things that I track and that a part of several studies. People notice two things about you right away, right away, even subconsciously. Now, number one is not a surprise to most people. Number two is so, number one, the first thing they notice about you right away is your competence. They get a sense of your competence. So, in other words, confidence is part of that, but they get this sort of unconscious, subconscious feeling about your competence. And that's the way you present yourself, how you speak, there are a variety of factors involved. Now, the second thing they notice right away within seconds is your warmth. Now, that makes sense when I think about it, but warmth to me is an interesting word because it encompasses so many things. When I talk about impressions to people, what they what they often talk about is either nonverbals, you know, how you smile and eye contact and things like that. But really the word warmth is encompassing of a lot of different things. Now, when we become reactive and we become busy, which most of my clients are, they can't do that. So most of their interactions are actually not interactions at all, they're transactions. So most people throughout their days are very transactional and it's impossible to really generate those connections people are starved of interactions because they're so used to transactions and i'll give you a quick example that i'm sure a, a lot of people can relate to there are things you do every single day that you don't realize probably did it today when you when you went to work was you said something like how are you how are you good how are you how are you good you it's a reaction. You know, most people aren't giving you a real answer when they're, and they're. it's not a real question, right? It's a pleasantry. How are you? Good. How are you? How are you? Not too bad. So think about that. You're bad, just not too bad. Well, that's good. But people say a variety of things, right? They say, hanging in there. They say, oh, it's Monday. Anyway, my point is, these things are all just reactive type of things. And there's no presence there. And it's impossible to generate real connections. People can feel that, right? It's like that saying, people don't always remember what you say, but they always remember how you make them feel. And I've trained customer service departments all across the country. And how you connect with someone, people can feel it. Even in emails. How do people sign emails in the corporate world? Regards, right? You wouldn't speak that way. That is just a transactional type of communication.
1: That's interesting. So, so what you talked about is they pick up two things, the competency and the confidence, and then their warmth when you meet somebody at the first science of, of impressions. But I've never really heard that, that people are starting for interactions because they're tired of all the transactions. And when employees go to work, They go from one department to another or over to another cubicle or another workstation to say, I need this, I need that. They're doing transactions, but it's really no interaction and no warmth and no, hey, let's just sit and talk and have a conversation. And so many people are really desiring interactions and time to spend with each other instead
0: of trying to just do transactions all day. And people leave jobs because of it, right? We talk about, yeah. you know, people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad bosses and things like that. But really what's going on, if you kind of peel the onion a little, is that people are leaving bad atmospheres, bad situations, and it's because they don't feel like people. The, the interactions yeah. aren't good, right? A lot of employers hire roles, not people, right? Yeah. And so if you shift that and you create a culture of, of, interactions, not transactions, Yeah, you find that turnover decreases. And I remember once I had a client walk into the building I worked in, he he asked me just a, a benign, simple question. He asked me, how are you? But this is like 10 years ago. But what struck me about was the way he asked it. He was wanting a real answer and I could feel it. I could feel it at the time. And People can feel if you're being real with them, if you're being present, and that's why there's so much work at big <laughs> companies that I that I do because yeah. their turnover is so high, and they're dumbfounded as to why that that is.
1: Yeah, well, that's great. Thanks for sharing that insight with us, Ryan. Another question that you alluded to at the very beginning, and it has to do with what is the power of being in the present, the present, instead of forward or backwards. What's the power and the benefit of being in the present?
0: Well, and things like mindfulness, those are hot topics right now. You know, a lot of people are are into mindfulness and presence and they intellectually know what that means. But unfortunately, they don't actually practice it in their lives. And I'm not referring to just, yeah, take a moment of presence in your day, which is a good thing, which is a good thing. But presence really Really refers to those interactions I was talking about and really being with someone when you're talking to them. Because what most people do when they talk to somebody is they're just waiting for, they're waiting to interject, they're waiting for the next thing. Most people in that reactive state, they're living perpetually in the future or past, right? They're thinking about the next moment and the next and the next and the next, and it never ends. So, really, presence is about slowing down. And creating those real interactions and without so much multitasking. Multitasking is a great way to do many things poorly, and studies back that up. In other words, we only have attention enough, the cognitive load is only so much that we can only truly focus on one thing at a time. Now, the word multitasking. People talk like, wear it like a badge of honor. It's all over resumes, right? But what people really mean as a strength is the ability to pivot. So pivoting and multitasking are doing two different things. If you are multitasking, you're not really there. You're all over the place. But what most people think is multitasking as a good thing is actually the ability to pivot to be focused on one thing and then focused on another thing quickly. That's an entirely different skill. That's great.
1: Recently, I was on a a plane and I I sat next to this gentleman and we had a good conversation. And he was just telling me about all the different businesses that he runs and how he does it. And I said, well, how do you get it all done? He says, oh, I just need three hours of sleep a night. (laughs) I just thought, oh, my Um, gosh. (laughs) you know, I said, I said, do you carry around a lot of four hour uh, energy drinks? He goes, Oh, yeah, you want one? I said, No, you know, but you know, he's a peddler of, of the caffeine and other stimulants to keep him awake, and so forth. But Ryan, share with us what has in your personal experience, and also in your studies with your near death experience has changed how you view your life.
0: Yeah. So I I was a coach prior to that occurring and and after. And what happened was, well, I had two cardiac arrests, sudden, random cardiac arrest,
1: no family history.
0: I've been into wellness my whole life and so forth and so on. Got plenty of sleep, non-smoker and so forth. So complete freak accident. I've been to Mayo Clinic type doctors all over the world, a renowned specialists. And essentially the closest they can get to is maybe I have some electrical problem. Yeah. I'm my pacemaker now, but I was very young when I was 30, when it occurred and I was a practicing coach and it totally transformed sessions because I remember my very first session, I actually had a contract, a real big coaching contract And I was seeing maybe eight clients a day. And I was new to the company, to the contract, and I had no paid time off. So I was back at work five days later. It was virtual coaching. So I was, you know, my clients a lot of times could not see that I was connected to a whole bunch of wires, connected to a heart monitor and all this stuff. So I was back at work five days later after healing over and the sessions just sounded different. I remember listening to a lady go on and on about some problems she was having, and those are all very real, very real problems, but things just sounded different, and I realized you know all time management is really is the management of our energy, and with everything we do, it's really a prioritization of that energy and this comes back to and I talk about it in my book is we can't see ourselves. And what happens when you have a trauma like that is we are pulled into the present moment. It's like in the matrix, right? You take the red pill and the blue pill. You're pulled into the present moment and you didn't know you weren't in the present moment, right? Yeah. So, you had your first heart
1: attack at 30. I mean, I mean, who, yeah. who, who yeah. resuscitated? What, what happened, brother? I mean, oh, that, yeah. I mean, most <laughs> people just have one, and you're up to two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the second one was a day later, but I literally was feeling fine. I, I went to the gym that day and I just was walking along and lost consciousness. And, or no, no, that, that was, that was much earlier. And if you know, fitness is a big part of my life and I received CPR and, Man, thank, and, um,
1: you got that CPR. Thank,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. People always ask me, how, what if you were driving? alone?" And what I did was I knew seconds before my vision was starting to change and I knew I was going to lose consciousness. So I just looked at the woman next to me and I just said, I'm going to go down now. And I said it just like that because I knew seconds prior, you know, my vision started closing in around me and I woke up you know, I was in the, the ER and I had a ring of doctors and it's like from the show ER and people were yelling and the doctor was yelling at the nurse about something and they were frantically moving around, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, terrifying, terrifying.
1: Terrifying. So oh, grateful yeah. that uh, that lady was there. And then you had another one the next day at the hospital or were you outside of the hospital?
0: I was at the hospital.
1: So yeah, at the hospital. So you are still at the hospital recovering. They wanted to put you observe, and you just got a second life. Not many people get a second life,
0: Ryan. Absolutely, and I have a condition where I'm dizzy about twenty four seven. So you know, I'm I'm dizzy right now, and it's just a condition. And I have to manage my energy, and I have to have boundaries. You know, you gave that example about on the plane, the energy drinks and all that, and I have to manage and have boundaries in those areas. Because if I don't, I get real sick and I have heart issues and I feel lightheaded and it just goes downhill from there. So, it's a constant reminder that what's important to me right now, because it's all I have. And if I don't manage that, then I I do get real sick. Yeah. Gosh.
1: Well, we're so grateful that you survived both of those and that you're here to share with us some of the ideas and you're just a walking example that personal development is important because you just described some of the conditions that you're battling every day still and you still keep going and serving our military men serving business owners selling business owners that transition helping high-performing individuals and also medium and all types of people you know reach their optimal life and how wonderful that is another question that I have in regards to this is what is the best way to provide some feedback to individuals without making them defensive? That was something that stuck out in your book is how do you deliver some news to people without making them defensive?
0: So if I had to summarize what I do in a nutshell, it's I help people see themselves and then kind of move forward from there. And with that in mind is you can't convince anyone of anything they have to choose it and people's first reaction is usually defensiveness because they think they are that role and so if if they feel threatened in any way if their value if their sense of self-worth which is tied up in that role like say you're a manager somewhere a customer service manager at at a call center your self-worth is, you know, a lot of times tied up into your performance there. So anything that is delivered to you that's threatening, you're always going to be defensive. The trick is is you deliver feedback in a way that what the science said sort of circumvents that defensiveness in the best way possible. So keeping in mind we hire people not roles. And so the first thing you do You don't make assumptions, right? So let's say someone had a bad performance. Now, what we do is we jump in there and we say someone had a bad call or they're at a call center and they had a bad performance or something in a call. What a lot of people do, because they're reactive, right? They're transactional and they jump in there and they talk about what went wrong. And that person feels like it's very accusatory and they get defensive over it, right? So, the simple way to circumvent that is you go in there and no assumptions. So, he had a bad performance, right? So, how do you know something's not just terrible going along in his personal life? A family member passed away the other day. You don't know that. Maybe he wasn't trained properly. Maybe he needs more training. It's not his skill level. Maybe he or she needed additional training. Maybe it was just an honest mistake and not a pattern. Maybe, I mean, you could assume all kinds of things, but... What you do when you go in there and you don't assume and you ask questions, most people will call themselves out. Most people know they did it bad. No one goes to work and says, I'm going to do a terrible job today. No one does that. So, if you go in there and you treat them like a person, don't assume anything. First thing you do is you ask questions. So, how do you think you did today? Well, I did that. Well, I wish I could have done that better. Okay. Tell me more about that. What do you think you could have done better? And then they'll go into that. Okay. Well, is that something I could hold each other accountable for, for the next call? So most people, if you just serve as a guide, they will create their own structure there. And you do that with questions. You do that by the warmth and and you connect with people and you don't make assumptions. And that way they don't feel attacked because most people, they just don't feel heard. And if you people just pause instead of reacting and they let this person speak, they're going to get a lot more out of that interaction. You're either building people up or you're breaking them down, right? So if you go in there and you criticize somebody, they're going to quit eventually. Most of the time when people quit and turnover is high, it's because a number of those incidents happen multiple, multiple times. And eventually the person just quit. Yeah.
1: That's great. Well, Ryan, this has been awesome. I'm so appreciative of your time today and you know your depth of experience and having gone through two sudden and unexplained cardiac arrests is, is really a badge of honor and grateful that you're still among the living with us and your years of experience in the science and the research. How can our listeners stay in touch with you and follow some of your work?
0: Then go to my website, rslindner.com. It's spelled kind of weird. It's r-s-l-i-n-d-n-e-r.com. All my social media links are there. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn if you want to. I'll even throw a special in there. I'll hook you up with a free audiobook if your listeners mention you and, and your podcast in a message to me. Or then go to my book website, which is halfknownlifebook.com. And it's on pre-order. Uh, It comes out on April 19th.
1: Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Ryan, hey, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for joining us today. And please remember to go and like, share, and learn from this. Take some notes and stay tuned. We've got some other phenomenal guests coming. And remember, make a life of significance and do good every day in all
0: that you do. This episode of the Arista Wealth podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more advice on your finances, wellness, and lifestyle so you can focus on living your dreams. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.